Welcome to the Hole in the Wall Business Podcast with Bill and James. I'm James Groves, and along with my business partner, Bill DeMent, we want to share our journey as small business owners with you. As owners of Hole in the Wall Drywall Repair, we will attempt to peel back the curtain of owning a small business in the trade service industry and talk about the many adventures of owning a small business. Hey there, Bill. James. Um... Never met today's guest. I know. Until he was just a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. But in just a few minutes of greeting each other this morning, it's obvious that this is a yes. this is a person of substance. Yeah. And, and, and it's hard. Uh, in the pre-podcast, we were just kind of talking. It's like we there's so much we want to say. Oh, we, we better save we better save that. Yeah, for we, sure. we had to pause him a couple of times to yeah, make him save it so much, for the podcast. So yeah. Um with you know, I like uh, I, I hate the words without further ado, but I'm gonna say it today. Um <laughs> yeah, let's get right in on this. Without, without further ado, I would love to introduce uh Sanjay Parekh with uh Amsung Consulting. Sanjay, welcome. Thank you so much. We're so glad you're here with us. Thank you for having me. Um, Sanjay is someone that, uh, that many of our friends know and have, have consulted with. Um, he's a, a business strategist. Uh, he helps small business owners and he's got a great story and uh, I can't wait to kind of dig into it. So welcome Sanjay. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, James and Bill for having me. Yeah. Here. Welcome. Appreciate it. A lot of fun. Well, let's uh, enlighten our audience kind of like who you are and, and, and tell us a little bit about your story. Um, well, I'm excited to share that. Uh, actually, I'm a business strategist, a management consultant, and uh, I run a company called Amson Consulting, where we help businesses uh, to make uh, strategies that are sustainable and that are profitable for their businesses. I think every business is looking for something like that. So mm-hmm. I do that and also conduct uh, two-day business management workshops. Uh, which is uh, called the Entrepreneur Success Academy, where we share eight key strategies, how a person can master the art of business. It's meant for students. It's meant for uh, people who are just getting into the business as an entrepreneur. Uh, As sometimes we jokingly say it, even if it's good for a solopreneur, Mm -hmm. as well as uh, people who run companies with um, a lot of employees. So there's something for everybody. And I think... um, You know, there's one of the things that I really remembered is that uh, as no matter how advanced science and technology is today, but the laws of physics remain the same. Mm. The same way, no matter how advanced or no matter what business it is, the fundamental principles of running the business remains the same. You know, my work has taken me to a lot of different countries and I still have to come across an entrepreneur or a business owner who says, I don't want to make money. Mm. Uh, Everybody wants to grow. Yeah, that's why they're in business. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to grow. So Mm. there's just something that I thought of putting up a program together where people could get uh, real-time information on what would be the necessary steps that they need to take in their business in order to succeed. So that's what this is about. And then there are a few other things that I help the businesses with. Wow. So obviously you didn't start there. I mean, you you have a, a, a lifetime of experiences leading up to this consulting business. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you even think about getting in that idea? I mean, where'd you kind of get this business knowledge from? So actually the seeds were sown when I was just about nine years old. Um, you know, I grew up, I was born and brought up in India and I grew up into a business family. Uh, 
I remember when I was about nine years old, I was for my summer vacation visiting my dad in his office. And I was just going there to have some fun because I had nothing better to do. Right. I was just trying to kill some time. So my dad said, why don't you come over to the office? So I went to his office and his staff was obviously, you know, me as a little kid, the staff was taking care of me. They used to get me ice creams and chocolates and, you know, things like that, that made me have fun. Mm. Uh, once when I was there in, uh, my dad was not there in his office, but he was out for some meeting. So I saw him, uh, his chair was nice and big and it had those little wheels that uh, <laughs> as a kid, I was very thrilled. So I sat on his chair, pushed my legs against the desk and I was kind of, you know, moving around and having fun. So my dad walks in and he told me that, uh, he asked me, he said, Sanjay, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just having fun. I'm playing. So yeah. he said, you know whose chair that is? I said, yeah, I know it's your chair. And he said, well, I happen to sit on that chair. That chair uh, belongs to the chairman and the CEO of the company. You must always make sure that you're worthy of sitting on that chair. Mm, wow. As a nine-year-old, I had no idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, okay, dad's not happy with me playing. So I just kind of, uh, you know, got out of the chair. I went home. And uh, then I said, like, I'm not going to go there to the office again because that oh, does no. not like me playing. But uh, uh, since I said, like, you know, it was a business family, the business was always discussed at the dinner table. So I used to hear one uh, thing from my father very often. And he said that you must always first deserve and then desire. So... I kind of uh, took it very seriously and I said, you know what, I'm going to make myself, um, uh, I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to get some knowledge uh, before I even sit on that chair. So when I was about 17, 18 years old and I had, I was in college, I had my breaks. I used to go to the factory. We used to have manufacturing plants. We were in the industrial packaging business. So I used to go to the plant at that time. The first time nobody knew who I was. Right. And, uh, you know, I was stopped at the gate. And I literally had to kind of apply for a job. Uh, only my general manager, and it was a new guy who didn't know me. So he appointed me. And uh, prior to that, when I used to go to the plant with my dad, the security used to open the gate. They used to salute my dad and we used to just go in the car. And I right. thought I was the king of the world. Mm -hmm. But only to realize, uh, you know, that this was something that I had to really be very cognizant of. This is another side of the life that I had never experienced. So it was a bit like the undercover boss, but I was the boss's son. <laughs> and um, I worked on the shop floor. I gained knowledge uh, of the production that we were doing. And then from there, a few months later, I became a supervisor. And then they all realized who I was. But I was always having meals with my colleagues who were the regular workers at yeah. the plant. And uh, so, you know, they knew me. So we had a different equation. And uh, then I was like rotated in every department that there is in a manufacturing organization from quality, production, accounting, purchasing, inventories, everything. Uh, and after about uh, four to five years of intense training, I then uh, came on the board of the company. So in the meantime, and over the next few years, we grew uh, from one manufacturing plant to six different manufacturing plants. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the largest companies uh, back in the day. And we were listed on the National Stock Exchange, the Bombay Stock Exchange. So we were listed, we came up with an IPO and all that stuff. So the business was going good. Uh, till we decided to go in for some backward integration and set up our own paper mill. Um, the timing was not so right. And, uh, you know, our issue was uh, the lead manager to the issue had problems and, you know, the whole thing went down. And uh, over a period of time, we had some uh, cash crunch 
and the business went down. We had to shut off uh, four factories out of six. And uh, then my father suggested that, you know, I should try to do something on my own because then it was not making sense for all the exec to be in one basket. Right. So I started a small company of my own and then I had um, in the packaging industry and then I had one of the largest companies in the world based out of Germany uh, buy equity in my company and we became partners. And uh, from there on, I was uh, the country head for uh, the Indian operations and uh, I was managing that and we became profitable from year one. We worked in close proximity with my dad's company, so we had contract manufacturing arrangements. That is how it all started. Over the next few years, uh, we had operations because this was one of the largest companies in the world. So they had about, uh, we had a total of 18, manuf 18 plants in uh, 18 different countries. And we had offices in 24 countries, sales in over 110 countries. Oh it my. was pretty large operations. Yep. Some of the operations in Vietnam that we had was not doing well. So uh, a lot of other people had gone to solve it. But then Thomas, who was my partner, then asked me to take a look at those operations. And uh, I didn't know much about it. But, um, you know, we successfully managed to turn around that loss-making company into profit, which they were about to sell. And they were about to hire uh, a consulting firm to turn around the other company that we had out of Shenzhen near Hong Kong. And uh, that was not going to be profitable. So I suggested them to shut it down. Uh, until then, I didn't know that I knew how to read the balance sheet uh, or the P&L. Uh, that was my first time and it just worked out right. The board decided that uh, that was a good approach. So we did that. And then I got included into the global board of the organization. So I was uh, the youngest uh, at that time. Uh, this was in the early 2000s. I was the youngest. I was on the board of the company where uh, we were about 11 members uh, controlling operations, uh, you know, in so many countries, in 24 countries. Uh, and that's how, and then I was in charge of our operations uh, uh, in Asia, and I was heading seven countries at the time. At the time you were living... I was actually, I had moved to the U.S. I was living in uh, New Jersey, mm. but then I had to travel to Asia every month, which was too much. So I decided to relocate and go back to India because I was developing our market for the Americas. Mm. And uh, I was in charge of that, of that also. But then long story short, uh, with all those managements, then I got involved and then my partner wanted to sell off the company in 2010. So Thomas wanted to exit the business. He wanted to sell off the company. There were about 12 companies that uh, gave a bid out of which one of the companies was identified. And I was a part of the team that was negotiating with the company. They had hired McKinsey to do the due diligence mm -hmm. and I was a part of the sell-off process. So we got involved and that year that company bought over, uh, you know, they acquired our company uh, then they acquired the second largest company in the world out of China, the third largest country in the world out of Turkey, and the largest distributor in Europe. So four acquisitions, one year, making it a substantially large company, a mm -hmm. dominant player. That company was based out of uh, uh, in the U.S. It's again listed on the National Stock Exchange. Um, and uh, what had happened was that uh, they had an ambition uh, the accumulated revenues for the business was about $500 million. Mm. And uh, they had an ambition that by 2015, we will reach $1 billion. But the strategies that they had on mind, you know, I was not quite convinced with that. Being an entrepreneur myself, I thought that every business has got some nuance and some, um, you know, 
trade secret yeah. uh, that is important that, that they know it. Uh, otherwise, you know, there are chances for failure. So I did give them my suggestions, but, you know, what do I know? They had McKinsey, you know, they know sure. much more than what we do. So uh, they decided to go that way. And I thought that that was not the most optimum way of operating. So we decided, like, let's do a deal. Either I buy you out or you buy me out for the operations. And then we sat across the table, did a deal. I sold off my equity to them. And I decided to move uh, back to the U.S. Uh, I had some other ventures on mind. And I came here and only to realize that uh, the company in 2015, which was supposed to touch about a billion for this division, uh, I took a look at the results and they went down from 500 to $230 million. Mm. And I said, like, I saw that coming. Mm. So my wife at that time encouraged me and she said that, Sanjay, you know, this is not just the first time, but you've kind of said it a couple of other times, a couple of times in the past that uh, this is not going to work and it's not work. So why don't you help small businesses? Because the ratio is that 90% of the businesses fail within the first five years. Uh, probably not all of them know all the tricks and trades of the business. So I thought, you know, that would be a good idea because when you have large consulting firms like the Boston Consulting Group or the McKinsey's and several others, uh, they are actually there to assist big businesses mm -hmm. who've already got millions of dollars. But for the small businesses that are the backbone of the economy, they don't really have very many people to advise them and guide them. So you were talking about, I want to touch a little bit about that. Um, you mentioned McKinsey a couple of times. And for those of us who, who may not know, I mean, what is that company? What, 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 what companies of that size, what are they hired to do? So companies of that size, uh, there are multiple things that they do. Uh, they would help companies prepare strategies for growth. There are companies that would help them uh, that would help them to uh, probably reduce their costs, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, to get them more profitable. There, there are companies that guide them what would be the industry future outlook. So whether they should get into that or not. So uh, they advise. Uh, they pick up some of the brightest minds, uh, some very intelligent people from some of the best, um, you know, management schools, and uh, they work. And uh, there are multiple other from, from technology point of view, from many different aspects and arenas. Uh, that they are there to support and help. And this is global, right? They, they are not just located in one country. They are out of the U.S., but then they are all over the world. So it's a, a global business consulting company. Correct? Yeah, and they, they will typically work only with large companies. That's right. Yeah. Wow, interesting. That's right. Because they would have a few million dollars as their fees, uh, you know, so oh, yeah. not uh, very many small companies can afford that. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. Not us, at least, for sure. That is fascinating, um, so you just took us down a road where you started off as a young man in business, saw an example in your family, um, into manufacturing, into big, large corporations. And now, uh, you're able to take that knowledge and bring it into guys, small business like myself. And I love the class idea. So your, your typical, your typical, uh, client is whom for that class you mentioned solopreneurs and students is, I mean, do you actually have people that, that, uh, are, are just starting off? Yes, I have actually had all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've had, uh, you know, people who have, uh, uh, been in business for about 
eight, 10 years. Some of them have been in businesses for over 20 years. Mm. Um, some of them have just been, uh, you know, from a financial uh, advisor to an insurance agent to uh, a printing business to someone who's just going to start off and is quite unclear about what they really want to do, whether they have what it takes to be an entrepreneur or not. Uh, uh, because it's not just the willingness to do things. Um, because a lot of people who have great ideas uh, think that they can be successful, but uh, not everybody succeeds. So uh, what is does what does it take to succeed? Uh, you know, uh, an ideation without execution is nothing but an illusion. Uh, and that is where we try to help people like these are the skill sets because execution is a very important part of any business being successful. As they say that uh, an average idea but a good management can make the company very successful. Uh, but a great idea with poor management does not make that can fail a company. And we've seen several uh, examples of that. Uh, so that is something that, uh, you know, I have about over 35 case studies that I discuss with them over two days, uh, walking through all the different eight aspects of what is important for them to take care of uh, at all points of time. And this is something that can be held valid no matter which country in the world, no matter what kind of business it is. Uh, that can be actually always, you, you can go back to the worksheet, to the workbook, and you can always refer to it, you know, when you come across a situation where you don't know which way to go. Because sometimes we are pushed into the corner, you mm -hmm. know, we have our back against the wall, we don't know what to do whether should we go left, whether should we go right. Uh, it's just the same thing in businesses because uh, business is very dynamic. Uh, we are faced with a lot of external challenges. A lot That's of, right. A lot we of, Actually, last week on the podcast, we were talking a lot about the business cycle. Yes. And it's called a cycle for a reason. It, it happens. It, it goes up, it gets to the top, it goes down, it gets to the bottom. Yes. And it for since business has been running, this has been a, a concept that's valid. You know, very interestingly, uh, a business cycle is something that I think almost every business goes through, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have some months that are good, you have some months that are not so good. But more important than that also, because once you've identified the cycle over a period of maybe a year or two, then you know that which are your best months, which are your, you know, uh, slow months. Mm -hmm. But uh, what is very important is also to identify where in the organizational life cycle your business is. So we do give some, you um, uh, you know, uh, tips of identifying uh, where are you in the organize, where's your organization in the life cycle of the business? Uh, what are the challenges? And you identify that uh, through some of the challenges that you go through. Uh, what are the positives and the strengths that you have when you are in that cycle? How do you overcome that and then go to the next cycle, the next phase of business rather? Uh, and the next phase, what will be the challenges that you will have to, that you will come across? And what are the plans and the steps that you should take ahead of time so that you know how to navigate your way through it more successfully and that you don't get stuck? So uh, those are just some of the things, you know, uh, talking of organizational life cycles as well, that becomes very important for an entrepreneur to know where they can have the next problem. So a life cycle. I think I'm going to learn something today about this. Um, can you talk us through that a little bit on kind of, you know, what, what are some things we, that, that businesses need to look forward? What are some of these points in the life cycle of a business? So typically to keep it at a high level, um, you know, you have um, when a business starts, right, uh, at that time it is everybody is very excited. They have all the strength, the vigor, uh, the zeal uh, in order to make their business successful. So at that time, uh, we call that as a honeymoon trap. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, are you just starting out with something new? Yep. You're excited. A lot of excitement. A uh, lot of excitement. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, enthusiasm in getting things done. Uh, but then soon you hit, uh, you know, a, a low patch that uh, kind of can, you know, have you thinking like, whether did I get into the right business or not? What mm-hmm. just went wrong? Normally business owners are... Uh, a lot of times I have seen with my experience are in a denial mode. They don't expect that things will go wrong with them. They think that I'll sail through this. I'll sail yes. through this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they need to be... That, that's kind of the nature of an entrepreneur, though, is that they, they tend to see the glass half full. Exactly. And while that is not a wrong thing, but you have to be realistic, right? You cannot be a pessimistic, but you can. You have to be a realistic and understand now what are the next steps do I take in order to get through this. So then you have, uh, you know, then there's a uh, the success trap. So once when they hit a low patch and they get through that, and that's where we uh, give an analogy and a story of three feet from gold, uh, which is where, you know, uh, if you already know that story, uh, how that actually transpires into somebody just falling short of actually hitting the gold. Uh, so we explain that story at that point in time. And then there is a success trap. When you are already very successful, you don't think that you can make a mistake. Yeah. Uh, usually business owners at the time think that I have already done so many right things in my uh, career, uh, in my business, that mm-hmm. I know I'm doing it the right way only to realize that now there's going to be the next turn. And if you're not prepared for it, you can have a problem. So, uh, you know, then there's this denial trap. So there are multiple traps. How do you identify? Those are some of the things that we teach in detail in the workshop. Uh, And that's just one part of the entire uh, program. Want to become a business owner, but not sure where to start? A hole-in-the-wall drywall repair franchise could be the opportunity you've been waiting for. As a franchisee, you'll have access to our comprehensive training program, ongoing support, and a proven business model developed to help entrepreneurs like yourself succeed. With our low overhead costs and high demand for services, you'll be able to hit the ground running and start generating income quickly. Achieve financial success while providing a valuable service to your community. Go to holeinthewallfranchising.com and take the first steps towards achieving your entrepreneurial dreams. Yeah, and I'm curious... Um, I am familiar with the, the three feet short gold story, but I, I, yes. I wonder if you might just take a minute and tell that story briefly. So this was, I think, during the gold rush time. Uh, there was this family that, uh, you know, uh, was also exploring and they wanted to dig gold. So uh, the gentleman sets out and uh, he is the one who is trying to extract gold by digging and he does uh, get some gold. And he's very excited, but he tries to dig again and again, and there's nothing that comes out of it. So he decides that, you know, just having usually uh, a hammer and a saw or something like that, it's not going to work. So I need to have actually proper equipments. So uh, he borrows money uh, from a lot of people, buys some of the best equipments and uh, starts digging gold. And uh, he digs gold. He starts getting some gold because he thinks that, you know, over a few truckloads, he'll be able to pay back all the debt and he'll be free from that and he'll be successful and he'll be a very rich man. But then, uh, you know, they just hit that low that uh, there's no more gold coming out and they keep digging, but then the gold doesn't come out. So then he ultimately decides that this is not for me. And he, d- he sells all the equipments at a loss and he's got a huge debt and uh, his nephew decides to pay that off uh, because he was a part of the uh, uh, transaction. So then he sells it to some a scrap dealer. And the scrap dealer, when he buys it for nothing, all the equipments, he buys them for nothing. 
was actually also a smart guy. What he decides to do is he hires a geologist and asks him to do the survey of the land and finds out where the gold is. And uh, after the survey is done, the geologist suggests to him that just where they stopped digging, uh, the gold is only three feet from there. And wow. he starts digging it, gets gold, gets a ton of gold and becomes a super rich man. Yeah. And that's the story that uh, the nephew who becomes then uh, decides that I want to pursue uh, this thing in a more strategic manner rather than just going, you know, all guns blazing. I got to be a little more strategic. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, that's probably the best retelling of that story I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And I've heard it multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Wow. But, but it's so poignant. How many times do we put out our, our best effort and we, we go as far as we can to a point of frustration and then make an emotional decision, or maybe even for that gentleman, it was a financial one to turn away from it. And somebody else just picks up where you left off. And in just a minute, they're exactly, you know, with, with, with a right technique, with a right approach. That is true. They find success. That is true. Well, perseverance through a hard time is one of the hardest things to do as a business. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, in my mind, because we've, we've had a few other ventures that we started working on and we got into and we realized that this wasn't just this wasn't for us. And um, but there are times when like, you know, even in whole new old drywall, it's it's a struggle at times. Like it's a niche market. You know, the economy is different. Personnel can be different. And learning the balance of um, how to navigate it, being able to decide this is where it needs to end Versus this is where we need to lean into it. Mm -hmm. um, on last week's podcast, we actually talked about this a lot. Is that we've had a, we've had a rough two months. June and July were were a down month, not just for us, but for the entire um, trade service industry. Mm -hmm. All my buddies who are in it are having the same thing. So, well, what do you do? Do you stop? You know, do you just kind of like you know ball up and don't spend any money? Or right. But one of the, one of the things that we talked about is you actually lean into you you market you take that opportunity to educate you take that opportunity to build your brand when you're slower. Um, our crew was slow for a couple of days. And so we brought them into the warehouse and we trained them on how to do certain items. Right. Wonderful. Yes. But knowing when to do that, knowing how to do that, that's the trick as a small business owner. That is true. That is true. You know, and you rightly suggested that uh, probably when the business is a little low at that time, you get more into marketing and things like that. But, um, you know, I also have another take to it. While this is one of the right things to do, uh, I think one of the best time to market is when you're really very busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, because when you're very busy at that time, when you're marketing at that time, you can afford to be more selective and you can afford to have your rates up because right. everybody says that the simple rule of making money is, you know, sell the product at a higher price. But how do you sell it at a higher price? That's always a struggle. Nobody tells you how do you do that when the competition is offering something for a lower price. So there are different techniques. Uh, those are some of the sales strategies that we discuss uh, to identify, uh, you know, what would be a more appropriate policy uh, or an approach for your business that one needs to adopt and uh, to move with it. And we have have seen that with the implementation of certain uh, uh, unconventional methods of working, uh, people have been very successful. Well, I agree. I think that there's always this brand awareness. Um, we call it the plate, you know, spin the plates. We talk about being able to kind of keep, I'll keep certain plates spinning. Like, you know, Coca-Cola doesn't necessarily need to advertise at a NASCAR event, Yes, but they're going to do it anyways. Yeah. Right. Because they want to be, 
that top of the mind. They want to be that big brand. You know, I was uh, uh, in a meeting once. Uh, there was a, a global conference that we had, and I met one of the very senior executives who was formerly working for Coca-Cola. <clears throat> it's one of the most recognized brands in the world. And uh, I was just asking him because uh, being always curious, I'm always learning every single day. Uh, I wanted to know what really makes Coca-Cola so successful. So while, of course, they have their secret formula, but uh, what are the, the most important things? And uh, he gave me a very wonderful example. And then when I thought of it, I said, hmm, it's simple, but we just don't consider that. He said that two things that are very important uh, to Coca-Cola is uh, number one is visibility. Second is availability. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was one very striking example that he gave me was uh, he said that, you know, there are some of the most highest traffic areas. Uh, let's say if it is New York, uh, Manhattan, right? Mm -hmm. Super busy. There's seldom for you to even space to drive the car, leave alone park a big truck. Right. He said that uh, sometimes they would, you know, go to a very busy district while they are offloading their, uh, you know, uh, merchandise to the local retailers. It's just out there. They do not mind paying a parking fee of $500 during the most busiest hours. Oh, but at interesting. $500, they get wow. advertisement that at that peak time, wow. when there are a million people going, the cost is nothing. Because a big truck's a big billboard. That's a big billboard. A big so billboard. those are the kinds of, you know, little different different structures of working. I don't necessarily say that they violate the law, but mm -hmm. what I'm saying is that uh, they realized that once when something like this happened and they said that we just didn't realize that that 500 bucks was the best spent money. Mm -hmm. They could because immediately they had to refill all the merchandise again because people, so it's visibility and then it's availability. Mm. That's but good. It's simple, but it's it's effective. Yeah, that's that's what. One of the things that we've found really important in our business, specifically, and I think it's probably true of a lot of businesses, differentiating yourself. Yes. Um, and we've mm -hmm. had this conversation recently. Drywall repair is drywall repair. Mm -hmm. Like like Coca Cola is Coca Cola, but you have to differentiate yourself. And if you have a differentiator, you stand on the roof and crow like a rooster. Absolutely. You know. Um, Without that, what are the things that differentiate you? If you don't have that, then it it settles to the lowest common denominator and you now become a commodity. And commodities are always sold on price. That is true. Uh, you know, you make a very interesting point. And that's some of the one of the issues that I always discuss uh, with a lot of people. Uh, I ask them usually one question. Who wants to be the best? Uh, you know, in my workshops, I have asked this <clears throat> every single time and everybody will raise their hand. You know, I want to be the best. And that's where we bring in a difference. Uh, by that, what I mean is that I say that, like, you know, if you want to be, uh, you know, the biggest, right? If you want to be one of the biggest players, if you try to be uh, the best, you will be number one, right? If you try to be the best, you will be number one. Mm -hmm. But if you try to be unique, you will be the only one. Mm -hmm. So how do you make yourself unique? And that right. is what you are, you know, alluding to yeah. as far as standing out is concerned. Right. And on, on the opposite side of that is avoiding becoming a commodity. So how do you differentiate yourself? Your unique strength? Because you have small, smaller, smallest. You have big, bigger, biggest. But you don't have unique, unique or uniquest. It's mm -hmm. only unique. There's only one and that is you. 
So if you identify what your niche is and if you then try to work along those lines um, and it does take a little bit of working to identify that, there are ways that you can identify it and then you know what is the area that you really want to focus on. For example, uh, the biggest burger chain in the world, McDonald's, mm -hmm. correct? Uh, but then one of the most preferred, Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. If Chick-fil-A would have got into the same arena as just McDonald's or Burger King, they would just be the third or the fourth one, mm -hmm. correct? But then they decided to differentiate themselves. Right. And that's why they stand out. Likewise, there are many businesses that, uh, you know, once when they decide to take a little different uh, route in the direction in which they want to go to identify what is your unique uh, strength, uh, because every business has some unique strength. It's also important to know what your unique strength is. And those are some of the things that, you know, we kind of walk people through that this is how you identify it and this is what you do. And then based on that, if your marketing campaign, your marketing strategy is based along those lines, you'll be more successful. Let me give you another example. When you have Domino's, right? Domino's, what is it known for? Pizza delivery in less than 30 minutes. Right. Several others have tried to emulate that. They have tried to copy uh, Domino's and try to say that, you know, we can give you the pizza within 30 minutes. But come to think of it differently. If the other chain, if, if you were to start, you know, if you in the sense, anybody, if the viewers or the listeners were to start, they want to come up with that. If they, in order to try to be unique, if they would actually come up with the slogan that, you know, we take 15 minutes, 15 minutes extra for our pizzas, but we know our pizzas are really well made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Yeah. Correct. So small little nuggets uh, in a lot of uh, things that if we try to focus for it at, from a different angle, then I think it can be something that can really propel the growth of a business uh, in a stronger way. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, off, uh, off microphone earlier, we were talking a little bit about a unique opportunity that happened to you during one of your classes, mm -hmm. um, which kind of led to something else that you're doing now as well. I'm curious if you could tell that story a little bit, because not only are you with Amson Consulting, but you're the CEO of a, of a very thriving business. Yes. Uh, so that again happened, um, uh, by accident. Yeah. Uh, I've had several participants who have attended my workshop. Uh, one of the friends, uh, you know, also decided uh, he had a business that he had started a few, maybe a few years ago. And uh, he attended the workshop in order to try to understand what he can implement in his business, what he should be doing, shouldn't be doing. Uh, while he was doing that, I subsequently, after the workshop was done, a couple of weeks later, I decided to have a one-on-one -on -one with him, asking him, what is it that, you know, you need help with? Is there anything? Because I make it a point to personally meet with all the participants. Mm -hmm. I just don't want them to get lost in the crowd. You know, it is, uh, and I get this uh, inspiration from, uh, you know, I, we all like to read. I like to read a lot. So when I read a lot of books, when you start reading, you've got so many different ideas that yeah, you pick up while true. reading the book, right? Yeah. But when you read the, when you reach the last chapter, how many do you remember? Mm -hmm. And after that, when your book is shut and you put it away for a few weeks, how many do you really remember? Right. So uh, that is something that happens when we attend a lot of programs, conferences, workshops, right? We hardly remember uh, what we've learned. And I don't want uh, the participants to 
just come attend and not really gain anything out of it. So for that reason, I meet with people one-on-one. So when I met this friend of mine and I said, what is it that you took away from the workshop? And he said, I took away one thing. And I was like a little question mark on my face. What do you mean one thing? You were there for two days. And he said, yeah, one thing that I can't do this by myself. I need your support. So I uh, then we discussed and uh, I joined him as an interim CEO for a few months. First, I started working as a consultant. Mm-hmm. I used to visit him a couple of times a week to help him uh, develop strategies for his business. I understood after I did a business audit, that is something that I like to do. I did a business audit to understand uh, you know, where his business exactly was. And I then could come up with ideas and suggestions of what the strategy should be. But then he was finding it a little difficult to implement those strategies. And uh, then he asked me to join him. I joined him and then subsequently the investors and the board of directors, uh, they met with me and they told me that they would like me to run the show. So now since about a a year and a half, I have been a full-time CEO Mm -hmm. working uh, with a company. We've managed to successfully turn it around and we are growing. Wow. Yeah. You okay plug in the company? Because I'd love to... Absolutely. It is uh, known as First to Aid EMS. It's an emergency medical services uh, business where we have uh, ambulances. We do interfacility transports from um, ERs to hospitals, hospitals to uh, skilled nursing facilities uh, in five counties currently mm-hmm. in central Florida. Wow, that's crazy. It's, it's really impressive. And obviously he saw the value in the class. Um, so obviously you're still you're doing both. Yes. You know. But uh, yes. that's kind of your 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 focus right the second. Correct. Um, what just going back to Amson real fast? Yes. What is the average class size? So it is a small limited class. Yeah. Uh, you know, we would have. Um, I've had up to about uh, fifteen to uh, sixteen people. Uh, from you know, it would be roughly around eight to ten people on an average. So I've had as many as 16 people Mm -hmm. and I've had someone as young as 21, 22 and someone as old as 65 attend my class. So different businesses across different spectrums, because again, the fundamentals of running a business remain the same. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that we focus on, and you know, I did mention in the past um, uh, that uh, there are eight key strategies that we help them master the art of business. Uh, So some of them would be like, you know, one is building a strong foundation. Uh, that's the first thing that I start off with. Mm-hmm. Why people think there are some people who have said like, you know what, I'm just a single guy running my business. Why do I need to know? Why do I need to build a strong foundation yeah. or have a big team? Because uh, just as we say that, you know, a building is strong uh, because of its foundation. You know that a tree is strong because of the roots. Uh, you know that it's a strong tree when it has been able to withstand some of the hurricanes. Uh, the same way there are a lot of hurricanes that we have in our businesses on a regular basis. You don't right. know where it's coming from and you don't have a season for that. It can come in at any time. Right. It could come in because of your cash flow crunch and your business sinks. It could come in because you've lost a big contract and you don't have enough money to uh, take care of your business, your business sinks. There could be so many external factors. The governments have changed the policy. There are some guidelines, some rules and regulations changed. So, uh, how do you know how strong a business is? Uh, that is all going back to the foundation. Mm. So uh, there are about seven different elements in the building a strong foundation that we go through in detail. Uh, then we discuss about uh, robust sales and marketing strategies. So while everybody now, 
how can this be equivalent and good for everyone, uh, no matter what business it is? It is because I just don't like to discuss about, oh, you should sell more at a higher price and you'll make more money because that's just such a generic thing. Sure. But people don't know how to do that, mm. right? So uh, first of all, we've got to understand the psychology of buying. Why do people buy? Mm. Then we understand the psychology why people don't buy. So how do you get through that and then uh, identifying what would be uh, the product or the service that you're offering and how do you position yourself? Because positioning yourself correctly into the market is one of the most important things that people don't really pay that much attention to. So understanding that and then it is developing a high performance team because eventually you will need to have team that that is how you grow. Uh, People don't seldom focus, uh, they don't much focus on that. And it's not developing a team, it's developing a high performance team. Mm. So there are some different ways to develop that. And uh, that is one of the things that we focus on. Now, what happens is that when your business is growing, what is going to happen to you is that you're going to be short of time. So how do you manage your time better mm. and not work, you know, for 15 hours a day, yeah. but manage your business yeah. successfully? Yeah, so far, this sounds like a very familiar scenario. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this is what all businesses, even a successful and a growing business like yours, uh, you know, goes through those kinds of uh, challenges that we need to be aware of. Uh, then we discuss about, uh, you know, uh, creating a sustainable and a scalable business. Normally, when businesses are growing, they want to just kind of grow, right? But without understanding what the sustainability level is. So I am a very big believer of uh, developing businesses that are sustainable, not just scalable, uh, because scalable businesses can fall and they can fail miserably. Mm. You know, we just saw that uh, FTX exchange, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That that scaled significantly, but then it was not sustainable. Right. So. Well, and there may have been some fraud there as well. Of course, yeah. uh, in addition to Maybe. everything else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and and likewise, there are some of the things that you don't have to do in business. Uh, which is something very important, uh, like what is the phase of business or the stage of business when you reach to that point, what you don't do? Uh, normally, it is just a trap that a lot of businesses get caught into it. You know, my previous, uh, my, my own father's company, when I was working, we got caught into that. And that's why we had to, you know, shut down some operations. So learned something from real experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there are, uh, you know, some um, how to be an effective leader. Because when, if you are an entrepreneur, you're going to be the leader. But yeah. the most important thing is how to be an effective leader. Uh, as we say normally that, uh, you know, boss is someone that you have to follow. Leader is someone that you want to follow. Right. So how to be an effective leader. Uh, and we again go through several case studies and discuss some of the, uh, the most successful strategies that are out there for people to follow some of the you know, best names that we uh, admire a lot. Um, that is one thing. And then some growth hacking strategies. How do you, to your point that you were making earlier, Bill, of how do you make a plan that you are going to be unique? How do you make a plan that, you know, you are going to kind of face the competition head on? Uh, normally, it's like, as they say, it's a cutthroat competition. It's, uh, uh, you know, like a red sea everywhere because there's blood all over the place. So right. How do you enter into a, the blue sea where there is less competition? So identifying that gap and there are some very amazing growth hacking strategies, uh, which, uh, you know, we discuss and how can you identify that and how can you try to implement that in your business for you to grow successfully and become the one to reckon with.
So these are the kinds of things that we actually walk people through in two days. Wow. In two days. Yeah. That's pretty cool. No, it's beyond cool. It's, it's impressive. <laughs> we're, we're, we're both a little, little stunned for, for a second. Um, Sanjay, we've been at this for a little bit. I, I, I want to keep talking to you. I'm, I think that you have a lot to say. Um, that, I mean, beyond that, he has a lot worth hearing. Yes. You know, and, 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 and obviously Bill and I, you know, are learning from you and I know that our audience is learning from you. Um, and, and our potential franchisees are learning from you. And, um, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how, how's the best way for them to do that? If they wanted to t- tap into this just a little bit more. Sure. Uh, so uh, there are a couple of ways to do that. Uh, one is uh, for people to just visit my website. That is Amson, A-M-S-O-N, consulting.com. Uh, my email is Sanjay at AmsonConsulting.com. And then my phone number, um, I'd like to just give my direct number. I would answer it myself. Mm-hmm. It's 407 782-4466. That's one of the most effective ways to get in touch with me. And then um, there is a lot of information that is already stated on the website uh, that people can understand because over and above all these things, we I also do some, um, I'm certified to do uh, talent development assessments uh, and different types of studies that actually make, uh, improve the human performance. Uh, so there Excellent. are five different studies that we do and I'm certified to do all of them. Excellent. How about we pause this where we, we, we end it here and let's invite you back to come. I would love to dig Absolutely a little bit deeper into back. this. I think that, um, you know, there's a lot going on here, um, but I don't want to suck up all your time today. And uh, maybe our brains need a chance to digest what we just learned and listen to. Um, but I really encourage everyone to kind of go to your website, look at the resources you have available out there. And uh, and then then we'd love to have you back on to, to maybe dig a little bit deeper into some of these insights. Um, you'd mentioned just a little bit about the talent, but that's going to be, I think, a whole other podcast. I think that's yeah. going to be some great stuff there. Well, absolutely. I'm excited. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I enjoyed talking to both of you to discussing things and, uh, you know, sharing some uh, stuff. I am happy and it'll be an honor to come back again. Excellent. Any final thoughts, Bill? Uh, no, I'm good, but I'm excited about Sanjay coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Well, thank you everyone for listening. It's been a great show. Appreciate it. We'd like to thank you for listening to the Whole in the Wall Business Podcast with Bill and James. We'd love for you to join our Facebook group and keep the conversation going. If you'd like to learn more about us and our business, check us out at holeinthewall.com. If you'd like to learn more about how to start a Whole in the Wall franchise, go to holeinthewallfranchising.com.